When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tents. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. We have been playing with the idea of what I've called evolved brackish water aquariums for some time now. I know the term evolved might actually sound a little bit presumptuous or pretentious or whatever, I suppose, but I think it describes our approach pretty accurately. Allow me to digress for just a minute or two. Now, traditionally in the aquarium hobby, when you've mentioned that you're thinking of trying a brackish water aquarium, it's provoked little more than a raised eyebrow or a feigned level of interest from fellow fish geeks, and I can kind of see why. Although aquarists have been playing with brackish water tanks for literally for decades, in my opinion, what's been missing is a focus on the actual habitat that we're so interested in and how it functions. Functional, yeah. Just like what the hobby was doing in Blackwater for years, I just focusing on certain aspects of it. And I think we've been collectively focusing on the wrong part of the equation for a really long time, like just like salt and for that matter, basic aesthetics. And quite honestly, the hobby knowledge base on the wild brackish water habitats and how dynamic, interesting, and yeah, awesome looking they are has been sadly lacking at the best and absolutely pathetic at the worst. Brackish water, which is arguably possessing a specific gravity of 1.005 to 1.010 is a sort of middle ground that for decades in the hobby has been well-traveled yet widely misunderstood. I played with brackish water for almost two and a half decades in between reef keeping and my, you know, black water botanical stuff. And in researching both the hobby work that's been done and relevant scientific papers out there on the wild brackish habitats, I've sort of made this conclusion that it's simply been an afterthought at best for aquarists. Although there's a good amount of information on brackish water habitats from which brackish water fishes come in the hobby, with the rare exception of some biotope enthusiast, we've sort of distilled brackish water aquarium into sort of an aesthetic thing down to white aragonite sand, a few rocks, maybe some hardy plants and some seashells or whatever. And it's been mired in that aesthetic hell for decades. And of course, that's why I started several years ago a little line of uh, brackish stuff called estuary our little foray into the brackish water aquarium here at tannin for which there isn't one by the way um and i've sort of let it be sort of semi-dormant for a while it's ebbed and flowed and we've introduced a nice substrate called mangal for brackish water habitats primarily for mangroves and that's been really cool but i'm started looking at it objectively now that i've been dabbling with my reef aquarium on a personal level lately and i'm like you know getting brackish stuff back in 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 the front of mind is going to be part of one of my missions over the next couple years so look for me to talk about more and more of this stuff once again and our approach to brackish of course has to be a little different than the throw in a couple of rocks and white sand a few teaspoons of salt per gallon some monos and maybe a few mollies you're good to go brackish biotope yeah that's the idea that you've seen for a long time in the hobby literature As you suspect, our approach is to really take a look at the function and the appearance of these unique aquatic habitats and then construct aquariums which mimic these factors 
in a unique and more compelling way. To do this, we want to really focus on helping you replicate and understand the complex web of life that occurs in brackish water habitats and how you can replicate parts of it in the aquarium. We'll evolve the practice and the appreciation of this unique niche just like we've done with the botanical or black water method, whatever you want to call it. In fact, the approach that we take to brackish is unlike what we, what's previously been taken before, but one that's already quite familiar to pretty much anybody that plays with botanical method aquariums. It's a system that embraces natural processes and functionality and just happens to have a different aesthetic too. Less emphasis on sterile white sand and crystal clear water and much more emphasis on a functional representation of a tropical brackish water ecosystem. Muddy, silty, nutrient-rich, and stained a bit from tannins. Beautiful in a very different yet oddly compelling way. I guess you can, at its simplest way, you can call it a tinted brackish water aquarium. And it all starts with mangroves. Mangroves, which grow at the water's edge, have roots that are either submerged or very wet most of the time, which makes them the perfect habitat for all sorts of aquatic life forms, mussels, oysters, crabs, fishes, whatever. They draw oxygen from air through small areas of spongy tissue in their bark. They're really interesting, adaptable uh, trees. I've been obsessed with these trees for years. I was the guy who on a surf trip to the South Pacific would bring along his dip net and an old swing arm hydrometer to, to wade into some insect infested, sometimes smelly, decidedly nasty muck to conduct a little amateur field research in between surf sessions, much to the chagrin of my travel companions. And I do remember one time in Fiji swimming into a sort of a mangrove estuary uh, in between some surfing. I paddled in there on my surfboard and I remember people yelling at me from from afar, some of the locals. I found out later the reason why is there was saltwater crocodiles in there and people have been attacked and eaten even before or allegedly eaten. But it was like, what are you doing? And so, uh, yeah, you do some crazy stuff. And I did get a few bug bites from time to time. Totally worth it, though. I mean, what's not to like about mangroves? And seeing them in context is a huge thing for the natural aquarium enthusiast. It really changed my outlook. Mangroves are what botanists call halophytes, plants that thrive under salty conditions. And they love high-nutrient substrates. In many brackish water estuaries in the tropics, rivers deposit silt and mud, which generates nutrients, algae, and other small organisms that form the base of the food chain. Jane, did I say food change? I think I did. <laughs> this food change is very similar to what we've been talking about in our botanical method aquariums, fungi, bacteria, and epiphytic life forms, you know, our friends. They're simple to sprout from seed pods, known more accurately as propagals. Oh, newsflash, we're going to be offering those again real soon, just so you know. We'll discuss the, the, the handling, the securing, and the sprouting of mangrove propagals in the aquarium in a future piece, I promise. Back to the mangals, which are the environments that mangroves grow in. The nutrients in, uh, that the mangroves seek lie near the surface of the mud. They're deposited by the tides. So since there's essentially no oxygen available in the mud, there's no point in mangroves seeding, you know, sending down really deep roots. Instead, they send out what are called aerial roots. That's what gives them their cool appearance where they say it looks like they're walking on water. They're sort of hanging in the mud. If you ever look at the way a mangrove grows, grows, it's pretty cool. Now, I'm literally just scratching the surface on mangroves, and I'll have to touch on optimum ways to keep these guys in aquariums, but I'm just trying to pique your interest. And of course, where you have trees, you have leaves, and where you have mangroves, you have mangrove leaf litter. Now, in the past, we've offered dried leaves of the red mangrove for a while, and it was proven pretty justifiably popular, much in the way catapa and guava has. We're probably going to offer those again. I'm still sort of making decisions on products I want to offer and the direction I want to take tannin, but 
Mangroves figure in it, as you probably, that's no secret. And mangrove leaf litter facilitates the growth of the bacteria, the fungi, and the other life forms, which contributes significantly to the aforementioned food chain in both the wild and, yes, in the aquarium if you let it, allowing it to accumulate, decompose, and contribute to the biological richness of our brackish water aquariums is fundamental. It's part of our of the food chain, and it's part of our fascination with these systems. Oh, and it adds a little bit of a tint to the water, too. And since we're talking about materials accumulated on the substrate, let's talk one more time about the composition of the substrate. There's a lot to be learned from the composition of the substrates in which mangroves grow, much like we've learned about, you know, blackwater substrates in our little journeys. In many habitats, the mud layer is actually peat as much as three meters deep in some instances, and it's overlaid with a shallow, and by shallow I mean like half a meter, layer of sand. Mangrove soils with a high content of organic matter are super, super common. I think that the planted aquarius, aquarium hobbyists could probably be a huge help in understanding and evolving the materials we need to recreate this habitat in our tanks, by the way. In my personal brackish water aquariums, I assembled substrates which are both interesting to look at, just coincidentally, and mimic to some extent the composition and the function of those found in the wild. I've been playing with this stuff so long and love it so much, that's why we came out with uh, what we call uh, mangal, our nature-based substrate designed to replicate those brackish water habitats. And I realized that for many hobbyists, using full-up straight-on mud in your tank is going to be challenging at best and disastrously messy at the least. So I utilized less temperamental materials to construct mine. And if you will, I said construct, I guess blend is a better word. But the average particle size of the minerals that I use in my little formulations, it's similar to the natural reef sediment composition present in, you know, reef flats, seagrass beds, mangrove estuaries, lagoons, stuff like that, all of which, by the way, are just epic habitats that any fish geek should consider replicating in his or her aquarium at some point in your hobby career. Um, in terms of, of what we use in these substrates, what the goal is, it's to, to grow mangroves. It's to facilitate decomposition and bacterial growth. Kind of sounds similar to our Varzea and um, Agapo substrates in a way, right? And then you can top it with uh, a sand, an aesthetic sand if you want, or you could just leave it the way it is. That's kind of what I did. Now, I've heard the warnings from people on attempting to replicate the mangals in this manner in the aquarium for years. It won't work in a brackish tank. It's going to create anaerobic conditions, too much nutrient, ionic imbalance, tinted water means dirty and unstable, blah, blah, blah. It sounds so familiar, doesn't it? These people have never kept a brackish water aquarium the way I've kept it. So how do they know? I've been doing this for years and it works and many of you have too. Not to sound arrogant, I'm just speaking from experience, which is another one of those things where we sometimes have to step back from what people are saying and look at what you're doing. Just like when we started our, sharing our vision of Botanical Method Aquarium, there, we heard you know plenty of protestations, warning, and critiques from both well-meaning and not so well-meaning hobbyists alike, many of whom, again, never kept these tanks. And hey, it's great that we look at stuff critically. However, we also need to follow our instincts and feel free to experiment and play our hunches. Risks are always present. Yet taking risks in the face of critics is one way that we advance in the hobby. Anyway, I wanted to just give you a very slight interest-peaking little look into Brackish. We're going to be talking more about this over the coming weeks and months, in addition to some other topics, but I wanted to throw that one out there. And there's so much more to discuss here. We really haven't even touched on the biology, the fishes, and the other organisms that you can keep. I'm simply trying to tempt you with teasers about the cool environment that I hope to see you replicate. More to come. 
stay salty, stay curious, stay creative, stay excited, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tin and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.